when I was growing up, we would always celebrate Christmas, it seemed, in the same, same fashion. On Christmas Day, we would go over to the Rhodes house where Grandma and Grandpa lived, and uh, Granddad would typically uh, be over there in a one-piece car mechanic suit. He'd have his cup of coffee. He'd have his three-eighths wrench in his pocket where it belonged, of course. And me and my cousins, if the weather was cooperative, we would go go-kart racing with an old go-kart in the, in the garage up and down the street out in the country. Never had to worry about cars out there. Uh, no cars came down that road. And um, finally came time to have the dinner and open up Christmas presents and on the tree there was always an envelope with all the grandkids names on it and you'd find your envelope and uh, the way we did it back then was everyone opened everyone's presents all at once it was just a mad dash and a lot of fun but inside the envelope there's a twenty dollar bill inside from grandma and grandpa and so we uh, always had a fun time with those memories and seemed like it never changed and then Eventually, either before or after Christmas Day, we'd make our way over to Grandma and Granddad Bridwell's house, my mom's parents. And that was always more spiritual uh, in nature. Uh, Jesus was more the focus there and not just family. And, uh, but we'd always end up playing Shanghai, you know, card games, or like Rummy Cube. And, and we'd play this uh, card game, have a lot of fun with that. But you know, at both families' Christmases, love was there. Love was present. And that's the uh, key feature of today's message, that we have love present in our families and in ourselves as a church family. You know, your family, whether you're talking about your physical family, your spiritual family, your family needs love from you, whether it's a special season like Christmas, whether it's a special event like a birthday or just any other day of the week. Your family needs love. And I want to express to you four simple ways that you can express love for your family. And we find this in one of, the, one of the great passages of all of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. One of the things that makes this passage so great is because the truths are, are so simple. They're easy to grasp onto. They're easy to take home with you in your heart from church and, and put them into practice. And so uh, you'll, you're going to find that there's uh, maybe nothing brand new that you'll learn today about some obscure character in the Bible. But more importantly, there's going to be some very basic truths that will be reinforced in your heart. And so, and who knows, you may learn something new, but uh, we'll find out. Life is too short to be lived without love. A lot of people take their brief period of time on earth and they are angry with it. They're upset about this. They're upset about that. And life's just too short for that. And so we need to have love at the center of our hearts. We need to express that to one another. We're going to read this passage together in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And it begins with this uh, sort of somber warning. It says, The end of all things is near. Well, you, you read that and you think, well, goodness, this is going to be a, a passage about judgment or wrath or hell, something like that, but it's not. 
Peter says the end of all things is near. That means God is drawing his plan to a close. Now, he wrote that almost 2,000 years ago. You might say, well, it sure has taken the Lord a long time. But this is on God's calendar. And God's been around for quite a while, a lot longer than a couple of thousand years. And, and in God's calendar, we've been living in the end times ever since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so the end of all things is near, Peter says. So therefore, here's what you do. Let's see what we do. We'll read this. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Four truths here that we can take home as we express love to our family, our friends, whomever we may come across. Number one, you can express love for others by praying for them. Again, verse 7, after the warning, it says, Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. Here's how the church ought to react toward one another, how, to, how we ought to interact toward one another. We ought to pray. We ought to pray. And so if God is doing something in someone's life, you need to pray about it. If there's a burden that someone has, pray that God may lift it. If there's a situation going on in your family, going on in your own life, lift it up to the Lord in prayer. And always ask Him for His will to be done. Not your own. You can express to Him your desires, but God knows best. And if you place your trust in the Lord, He'll provide for you. He'll answer those prayers in a manner that seems fitting to his eternal plan, which we're not privy to. We know some aspects of his eternal plan because he's revealed it to us in Scripture, but we don't know all the details, and we don't know how the decisions that we make today might play a part into the eternal plan of God. And so we trust God with that. Make your life a matter of prayer. Whatever your family is facing, whatever you're facing, soak that with prayer. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. That means we ought to bring everything to the Lord in prayer because everything can be done through the Lord. In fact, Peter, or excuse me, Paul said that uh, very same uh, type of concept in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul wrote, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so we need to be strengthened by the Lord. We need to turn everything over to the Lord in prayer. And it's the easiest thing in the world to do. It really is. And if, if we're stumbling in this aspect of our spiritual lives, if we somehow get to the point where we think, goodness, you know, I'd, I've been away from the Lord. I need to get my heart right. I haven't been praying for a long time. It's not because prayer is so difficult. It's really easy. You just tell the Lord. But it's something within us that causes us to want to handle it on our own or not turn to the Lord or not take the time. And so we need to get back to making sure that we bathe everything with prayer. 
And so when you gather with other people at church or in your family, uh, stay alert to what's going on in their lives. Listen to what people say. Listen to what people complain about. Listen to what people are worried about, what they're concerned about. And whether it's appropriate to pray with them there in that aspect, in that context, or prayer, pray for them alone in your prayer closet. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Secondly, you can express love for your family and, by, and for others by forgiving one another. Verse 8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. We need to keep fervent in our love for one another. We need to keep our love strong. Why is it so important that our love for one another, our love for our spouse, our love for our kids, our love for our grandkids, our love for our employees and our co-workers, our love for the people that we come across, even love for people that we might stumble across seemingly by accident, a waiter or a waitress. Why is it so important that that love stay so, stay so strong? That we have a strong sense of love for all people at all times. Because love covers a multitude of sins. You see, we all get hurt from time to time, and it, it, it truly hurts the most when you're hurt by someone that you love, that you truly care for, or if they're the one who hurts you. But the only way really to erase the pain is to forgive the person. Forgive the person. Love always results in forgiveness. Love always results in forgiveness. And if there's someone in your heart that you have a hard time forgiving, that you say to yourself, I'm not going to forgive that person. The reason is not because of what they've done. It's because of a lack of love on your part. Love and forgiveness are two sides of the same coin. When I was a kid, I ordered from the back of a comic book a, a two-sided nickel or you know by that I mean two-headed nickel on either side there were heads you know and so you could fool your friends and call heads and win all the time and it was stupid and silly and all of that uh, but on any coin that you dig out of your pocket unless it's a trick like that there's two sides the two sides are different you've got a heads and a tails but there's not a coin in the world that only has one side. Mathematically, it's impossible to have a plane without two separate sides to it. So, uh, and that's sort of what a coin is. It's got two sides to it, a heads and a tails, a front and a back. And love is a coin that on the other side has forgiveness. It teaches a message of forgiveness. Two sides of the same coin. Love and forgiveness are always found together. And that's what I mean by that. Love and forgiveness are always found together. You can take a coin out of your pocket, and you can see George Washington's face on the front, and you'll find a building on the back. They're always found together. That's the way it is with love and forgiveness. Forgiveness, by the way, is in your best interest. It's in your best interest to forgive other people. When you have revenge on your mind, or you're just going to be silent toward the person, give them the cold shoulder, or... You're going to be rage. You're only going to become bitter and angry. But forgiveness will make you feel better. It's in your best interest to forgive. And so, again, forgiveness is not based upon the amount of pain inflicted. It's not as if you can say, well, you know, if they give me, you know, five ounces of pain, I can forgive, but a whole pound, I can't. No, it's based on the amount of love in your heart. God has more of a right than anyone not to forgive us, doesn't he? 
Why? Because our sins put His Son on the cross. And that's the irony of the whole story. That even though our sins put His love on the cross, it is through the cross that God extends forgiveness to us. And if God forgives us for our absolutely horrendous sin of putting His Son on the cross, certainly we can forgive one another for lesser offenses. Wayne Grudem writes, Where love abounds, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding. And conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. And so we need to be careful. Make sure that love abounds. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 describes what happens when Christians will not forgive. It says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, so that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Do you hear that? Make sure, if you're a believer in the Lord, that no root of bitterness begins to grow in your heart, because by one single root of bitterness... It can defile many. It can defile an entire congregation. It can defile an entire family. We need to be careful to forgive. Let love abound in our hearts. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Love covers all. And in a very familiar passage, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. For everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so we love one another. You can express love for, for one another not only by praying for them, not only by forgiving them, but all through, also through hospitality, by being welcoming to guests. Verse 9 simply says, and it's, this is why this passage is so great, it's, it's so simple, such a simple concept, but so deep. Be hospitable to one another without, without complaint without complaint you know what it means to be hospitable toward one another a stranger comes by your in-laws visit someone comes by and it's unexpected and you invite them in and you feed them a meal and even put them up for the night but then at the end of the day when you're back in your bedroom and you're complaining about it oh why did they have to come by now oh why didn't they warn me You've undone everything that the Lord gave you an opportunity to do. Be hospitable toward one another without complaint. The typical church situation is that where a, uh, uh, a person comes into the church and is visiting for the first time, and everyone's very welcoming to that person until they sit in my pew. Oh, my. They sat in my chair. I'm sorry, that's my chair. They were fine. We were all going to be hospitable until they crossed a line that they didn't know that they shouldn't have crossed. And so we need to be careful and express love toward one another, love toward strangers by being hospitable to them, by welcoming guests. Probably the person who has the most servant's heart that I've ever known is, is my mom. My mom, every, every year we celebrate Christmas, and it used to be... Um, uh, things have changed a little bit now as mom and dad have grown a little older but it used to be they'd host everybody at their house and, and uh, it seemed like every Christmas there was someone there that I didn't know 
And it would inevitably be one of mom's Scrabble friends who either, you know, mom plays competitive Scrabble. And she became known uh, at one church I was at as Scrabble Grandma. But um, she played Scrabble every week, goes to Scrabble tournaments, became nationally known in the Scrabble world. And it seems like uh, every Christmas for very many years, there'd be somebody there whom I didn't know and I didn't know why they were at my parents' house. But it'd be one of my mom's Scrabble friends who they were from Africa or Korea or they were from there in, in town but they didn't have a family. They're all alone. And so they're going to be family with us for that Christmas. That's kind of uh, hospitality we're talking about, being welcoming to people. Hebrews 13.2 says that we, when we welcome guests, we might be entertaining angels without even knowing about it. And so we need to be hospitable. Hospitality comes from God. What do I mean by that? Hospitality comes from God. Well, there was a time in human history where God was a stranger and God came to this earth and God needed someone who would welcome him and so the father provided for the son a welcoming home and he chose the right couple to raise that son he chose Joseph and Mary because even though the whole situation must have been confusing for them they were very very welcoming to this stranger who certainly interrupted their lives and their plans. And we have to be hospitable without grumbling, without complaining, without mumbling. You know, uh, contrary to popular opinion, grumbling is not a spiritual gift. It's not something that the Lord has granted us. Uh, when you grumble, and even when you grumble against someone else, consider this, that you're really having a complaint against God. Your real complaint is against God because it is God who allowed you to be in the circumstances that caused you in your mind to grumble. And so even if your beef is with someone else, if you think about it, your beef is with God. And that's not a good position to put yourself in. Grumbling drives the joy and the gratitude right out of your heart. There's no room in your heart for both joy and gratitude on the one hand and grumbling on the other. One of them is going to have the day. So let it be joy and gratitude. Finally, we can express love to our family, to our loved ones, to our co-workers, to the other people in our lives that the Lord brings us across by serving them. By serving them. Now, I want you to think about these four points. Pray for people. Forgive people. Welcome people. Serve people. You get those four points down in your life, you're doing really good. You're doing real good, and those aren't very difficult to understand. But that's this fourth point, to serve one another, to serve people. And so it's important that we serve one another. Verse 10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let's stop right there in verse 10. Peter says that every one of us who's a believer has received a special gift singular a singular gift we talk about what spiritual gifts do you have if we were more biblical we'd say what spiritual gift 
do you have? God has given each one of us a certain spiritual gift. It may, uh, and I believe that it, it comes in a very unique way to each person. And that no two people, no two Christians are gifted exactly in the same way. Even two people with the gift of teaching, such as I have. Uh, they will express that and they'll in, encounter that in very different ways. And so you take someone like Charles Stanley, a gifted teacher, and you take someone like myself, we have very different styles. But the Lord's gifted both of us in somewhat a similar way. However God has gifted you, God says use it. Use it to serve one another. Employ it in serving one another. Why? How? As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given you a gift, a spiritual gift. You know what a gift is that he's given you? It's something that you are to give away to someone else. Whatever God has given you, give it away to someone else. However God has made you spiritually, give it away to someone else. Because that's the only way that you can be found as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. In other words, God graces you with an ability, a talent, a ministry, something like that. God graces you in some incredible fashion. And if you just hog it up and don't give it away, don't find a means by which you can bless other people with it, then you're a bad steward. God didn't gift you just for your own well-being, but to be a blessing to other people. In verse 11, it continues the thought. It says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. So that's one category of giftedness. Speaking gifts, such as teaching, such as prophecy, such as uh, uh, some other gifts like that. For your Blessing other people with your words. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. The other category is servanthood. With your actions, not with your words. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. And so all spiritual gifts can be categorized in one of those two fashions, speaking and serving gifts. Either you're blessing people with your words or you're blessing people with your actions. However God has gifted you, some people are not good speakers or not gifted teachers but God has gifted them to be a blessing with the other members of their body their fingers and their hands and wherever they go however God has gifted you serve as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies and so I need you to remember that you are a very very much a masterpiece of God God did not make a mistake in making you the very person that you are today but he wants you to use it as a blessing to other people. And how much did you pay for your spiritual gift? How much money did you exchange with God in your, in your spiritual gift? I mean, did God come to you and say, okay, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift, but it's going to cost you ten grand. You better go to the bank and write me a check. Is that how God gives spiritual gifts? Well, of course not. That's silly. God gives spiritual gifts freely. Freely. Therefore, we are to give our gift away freely to other people. And so we be a blessing to as many people as we can, and we use it freely for other people. 
The greatest gift of all, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. John 3, 16, you know the passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Praying, forgiving, welcoming, serving, when we engage in these simple activities and our hearts are right, the Lord is magnified. He's glorified in heaven. And verse 11 concludes, it says, So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Who would have ever thought that the incredible, magnificent, deep God of the universe would create us in such a way and gift us in such a way that He Himself would be glorified and magnified simply by us doing four simple things. Praying, forgiving, welcoming, and serving. These are the things that God calls us to do. And so today, here's what I want you to do. Today's your homework. You've got some homework today. When you interact with other people today, when you interact with your family, when you interact with a waiter at the, at the restaurant or where, wherever God leads you today, I'd ask you to pray. I want you to forgive. I want you to welcome. And I want you to serve. God will be glorified by that.